Unmade is heading to Melbourne. Join us on Tuesday, November the 15th, when I'll be chairing our panel discussion on what's coming up in marketing in 2023 and what the hell happened in 2022. We've got four great speakers from the world of media agencies. Naomi Johnston, boss of Havas Media in Melbourne. From the consultancies, Nick Garrett, head of global commerce and marketing practice lead at Deloitte. Representing the marketer's point of view, Andrea Dixon, regional marketing boss of DocuSign. And the man with his head in brand strategy is Richard Curtis, owner of Future Brand Australia. It's in a pub. It'll be a great chat. Then we'll have a drink and another chat once the microphones are turned off. Tickets are just $69 or free to Unmade's paying members. Open any recent post on unmade.media to find out how to get your ticket. Start the week with Unmade. Setting the agenda for the week in media and marketing. Today, News Corp prepares to transform again. The media launch that belly flopped. Is Stan about to lose Parks and Rec? Unmade. It's Monday, October 17, 2022. I'm Abe Beauty, and good morning, Tim Burrows. Good morning, Abe. You're you're not camping in a shack. You're not talking from a car this week. I I can see that you have excellent broadband and you're in your home studio. Yes, live and ready to go. This time we're not in the remote wilderness, although the shack that I was coming to you from last weekend was almost completely underwater. This weekend, the floods ripped through up there. The shack was fine, but uh, oh gosh, I would have been sitting in about a metre of water if I was there this, this time this week. So, yes, very interesting. Yeah, you were staying in there. Was it the Levin... The Levin Canyon, is that what it's called? Yeah, the Levin Canyon and the Levin River flooded and burst its banks. So fortunately, it didn't lose the house or anything, but it was a lot of water. Well, that's Tasmanian life. Um, Abe, where should we start this week? Well, why don't we start with News Corp? This one broke over the weekend. It looks like News Corporation might be merging with Fox. They're both Rupert Murdoch companies. Tim, what is happening? Yeah, so we probably here in Australia know News Corp best because that's the owner of the newspaper interests. So things like the Australian, the National Broadsheet, then the kind of the big metro titles, which would obviously include the Telegraph in Sydney, the Courier Mail in um, in, 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 in Brisbane. Then you've got the um, Herald Sun in, uh, in, in Victoria as well. And, and similarly across most of the states, uh, plus... Um, one of the big kind of profit drivers of News Corp is REA Group, the um, real estate platform. And then as well as that, um, you've also got publishing interests. And um, uh, fairly crucially in Australia, um, this is the company where um, the two-thirds ownership of Foxtel sits, uh, with Telstra owning the other bit. Um, and Fox Corporation is probably best known for its ownership of Fox News, the right-wing news channel, which um, uh, which is also sort of powered by Fox Sports and the Fox TV networks. So um, we, 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 we seem to be likely to see uh coming together of those two two things it 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 wasn't quite a planned announcement what seemed to happen was early on saturday morning our time the wall street journal published 
a leaked news story, which is kind of amusing, really, because Wall Street Journal is is part of the News Corp family. So it's quite meta that it leaked on its own deal, but it it appears to have been a little bit earlier than planned. So there was just a quick announcement saying there was a committee had been put together to look at bringing the two organisations together um, and there would be more in the future, but nothing more right now. So given they're uh, both run by Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch already, why are there two companies anyway? Yeah, so the the recent history starts in 2013. Um, Rupert Murdoch just got frustrated that as he perceived it, the markets weren't giving News Corp the value that it should be assigned because, you know, it was seen through the lens of the failing newspaper industry, as it was seen at the time. Print was a fading medium, etc, etc. So he split the organisation into two two companies. There was still News Corp, which is the organisation we know best in Australia. It held the news mastheads, it held the ownership of the stake in Foxtel, um, and it had similar kind of news interests in the uh, UK and in the US as well, along with, um, you know, as I say, REA Group, etc. And then the other half was 21st Century Fox, which included the studios. So, you know, we're talking, this was the home of The Simpsons for many years, not to mention the home of, you know, Titanic, Avatar, you know, all of these massive movies. Um, So that was a way of kind of releasing value by creating these two companies that would sit next to each other in 21st century Fox and News Corp, as they were then. Um, Now, Murdoch's hope was to grow 21st Century Fox into an entertainment powerhouse. Um, failed to get the deals done that he wanted to do, though. So instead, faced up to reality and sold 21st Century Fox to Disney, um, which, you know, a lot of that content really helped power the launch of Disney Plus, you know, help it become one of the biggest streaming services in the world. Um, now, that was a good deal for the Murdochs because they got shares in Disney, which which went up. And the, the remainder of the assets sat within 21st Century Fox that um, Disney didn't want created what's now Fox Corporation. So that was how we ended up with these two organisations of very broadly similar sizes um, that, um, that, that were now sort of outliers. So, so it, was a, it, it was a two-part manoeuvre, really. <clears throat> so it was a two-part manoeuvre, really, the, the 2013 split and then the 2017 sale to Disney, um, which is, is, is what takes us to, to where we are at the moment. So I guess the next question, why would they do it now and what are the implications here in Australia? Yeah, the reasons why, um, three, scale, because, you know, the, when the organisation split, one of them was a lot bigger. So bring the two together because it does feel as if to, 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 to succeed in a global market, you need scale. Now, for News Corp, it's no longer in the entertainment game. So it's about news and it's about sport. There's a good analysis piece in this morning's Australian Financial Review that makes that point. And then the implications in Australia. Um, do you know, day to day, in the immediate seat, 
Not so much, because as I say, pretty much everything is already owned locally on the News Corp side anyway. But it will change philosophy in the long term, I'm sure. So, for instance, it would put Sky News Australia back in the same company as Fox News. And it does feel like philosophically those two organisations are are on very similar tracks already. Um, it, It may create an opportunity to sort out Foxtel's issues because they'd wanted to float the business um, and then the IPO market had closed. So it might just provide a means of buying out Telstra, perhaps. Um, that tends to sort of what happen when what happens when there are these refloats. News Corp's very good at using it as an opportunity to, you know, lose some debt or tidy up some loose ends. And then the other one will just be, well, it'll be fascinating to see who out of Lachlan Murdoch and Rupert Murdoch ends up as the ultimate boss because um, they're they're both chairman of uh, Fox Corporation, but Lachlan is the executive chairman. So technically he has slightly more power, um, whereas it's the other way around in News Corporation. And I would wonder how long Rupert has really got in him in the business anyway. I mean, surely, you you know, as he approaches, what, he's in his 80s now? Surely you'd be wanting to dial down things. Uh-huh. A little bit more than that, actually. How old is he? He's actually, ni- he's 91, believe it or not. Wow. So, um, so he, yeah, so he recently, um, just last week, in fact, hit the milestone of 70 years since the death of his father, Keith Murdoch, when, when effectively he became the boss of the organisation. Now, he did have to go off to university and wrap up for a few months first, but, um, but effectively we're at the 70 year anniversary. So he, you know, he, he is a, a, you know, a long time at the helm. And obviously Lachlan is seen as the successor. He's the only, um, you know, one of his offspring who's still within the business. But the one big question, you know, remains, even with this, what happens to the family's voting rights, you know, when, when Rupert doesn't just retire, but, you know, passes as he will one day, because then the votes of um, uh, other members of the family will count, and they may not share the same political views as Lachlan. Next, a big week in television. Lots happening in television this week. Tim, let's start with anti-siphoning. Yeah, let's turn to the Australian Financial Review. There's a piece by Edmund Tadros. They're relatively new on this beat, media and marketing reporter. Um, Now, we've known this was coming. Um, Communications Minister Michelle Rowland has issued a consultation paper on her thinking on reforms to the anti-siphoning scheme, which is, you know, this this kind of legal principle that um, stops live sport or key live sport going behind paywalls. Now, this was, you know, a historic thing when, you know, when Foxtel was, was first coming along. Um, and it was a, 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 you know, recognition that, you know, not everybody would be able to afford to, subscribe and maybe some things were important enough to the culture that they should should remain free but it wasn't designed for the the world of streaming so there's a a little bit more detail now sort of fleshed out on the directions the government's going in but to be honest it's still seeking comment from the industry um the key potential beneficiary from this 
could be Foxtel now because it owns KO, which is its streaming service, and it it does give away some sort of freebies on KO. Then, um, if that becomes a mechanism by which you can actually bid first for sport, get the rights, and then give away some of it free, then that changes the game because at the moment effectively the free-to-air players can sometimes get sport at a cheaper amount than otherwise they would. Still on the subject of television, let's turn to ratings. Who won the week? Yeah, it was Nines week. Uh, it was not not even particularly close, particularly in the key demographics. So overall primetime share um, in 2554, that key advertising battleground, 38% share of the three-way slice between nine, seven, and ten went to went to nine. Um, seven was uh, quite a long way behind, actually, on 33%, and then 10 even further behind on uh, 28 In total people, it was a little bit closer, but still nines week, just ahead of seven, with uh, 10 in third place as usual. Now, it was that sort of usual pattern we've been seeing at the moment, where nine wins the weekdays and then seven comes back at the weekend. Um, they did quite well um, over the weekend because the Caulfield Cup, for instance, helped seven a little bit. But for nine during the week, it was it was all about the block, really. So, you know, if you'd look at the, 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 the big shows of the ratings week just gone, then um, the block was nine's biggest entertainment show. The most watched program of last week was actually last Sunday's Seven News from Seven. That was actually the only show which, in terms of live metro viewing got more than a million viewers um and also helped last weekend from sevens um bathurst thousand race as well so um so yeah you know it was it was just a just about nine's honors but it was it was split between seven and nine sticking with ratings we're two weeks into frank kelly's new friday night abc chat show frankly How's that going? Yeah, look, this has been slightly controversial. You'll have probably seen the the various kind of commentary and coverage over the ABC's decision in the first place to 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 give Fran Kelly the the, the, the chat show. She'd she'd stepped down a few months back from hosting uh, Breakfast on ABC Radio National, and there was some criticism at the time that it, it, it seemed like a bit of a sort of safe choice from the ABC to give this, you know primetime Friday night chat show um, to, you know, the same old people um, with the criticism that just at the moment the the ABC really seems to struggle to, A, connect with younger audiences, and the ratings do, you know, suggest that in those demographics, and, um, and, and B, to bring on young talent. So, so it was in that context that, um, uh, you know, frankly launched. There was another... Um, I think quite ill-advised comment piece at the weekend from Patricia Carvelis, who is the current host of RM Breakfast, really uh, defending the decision to give the role, but also framing the whole thing as just being about ageism. And, and, you know, she makes some good points, but at the same time, it does feel like it's when you're within the ABC and you've got your weekly column, it's, it's a bit, too easy to write a piece in defence of your bosses, even if you believe it. Um, and you will very rarely read a, a piece from someone in that position criticising their bosses. So I think probably it was a, a subject she wasn't, you know, you know, she was a little bit too close to the action to to, to credibly write the piece. But anyway, to your to your question on the ratings, the answer is 
disappointing actually so on on friday just gone the metro five city ratings um 218,000 that's across all all five capitals so that that was actually 20th for the day so you know that was a a, 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 a you know a long way off the pace really now friday isn't the biggest rating night but even so that's disappointing and down on the week before now the week before it did with catch-up viewing it added about 10 percent to the viewing but you know even if it does that again then you know that's that's a rating that certainly suggests that in these early days frankly hasn't found its audience yet and there's more in the Oz on Kerry Bickmore's exit from the project. Yeah, there's a piece uh, in the media diary of the Australian um, today, which um, <laughs> in the olden days of these leaks, it used to be, you know, the kind of the letter of offer left on the photocopier, whereas these days it's the accidentally forwarded email. So one of the kind of delicious details in the Oz is that um, uh, Kerry Bickmore um Certainly didn't leave because she was short of salary. Um, the, uh, the 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 email, which is apparently forwarded to another de- department, showed that uh, Carrie was on one point one million a year to host the show from Monday to Wednesday, which the, the the days she was doing it, which is a you know pretty hefty deal and probably puts her ahead of quite a few kind of even um, you know breakfast show presenters like you know david kosh natalie barr maybe even tracy grimshaw etc which said something about her value to the market and then interestingly the australian also speculates on likely replacements and makes the point that probably by analyzing the ratings numbers um lisa wilkinson who hosts it on other days of the week including what should be a big night in sunday probably isn't in the frame because you know the 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 days she hosts rate significantly below those of Bickmore so um so that that role is up for grabs and now the question becomes where will where will Carrie go next and I I've got a little bit of a feeling that maybe it's just beginning to shape up for um Sydney breakfast for Today FM, where she already does for the the, the network, the, the kind of nationally network drive time slot. But it might just make sense to move her to breakfast where that show isn't yet firing. Yeah, but that also seems a bit like a poison chalice. I mean, there's great talent being and gone. The, the halls are littered with the ghosts of Today FM breakfast host pass. I, gee, I wouldn't want the gig. Do you know what? They're not only they're not only littered with the ghosts. Sometimes they're still crowded with the bodies as well. Because these people, they they probably learned their lesson now. But for a while, they kept signing them on these two three year contracts and having to shoot them after you know less than a year. So there were all these kind of people who are still on their contracts. Jules Lund pretty much launched Tribe, you know, on the back of having a lucrative breakfast salary while he kind of, you know, noodled around, noodled around at his desk without much to do. So, so I, I, I can see why it makes sense. I actually, funnily enough, there's another piece in the Australian talking to Aaron Molan, who is in the slot at the moment alongside Ed Cavalier and Dave Hughes. And she's talking about her role with Sky News. And when you read that, it really feels like that's where she sees her future. You know, there's a there's a quote in there about now she just lives and breathes news and sport. And that is not Today FM. Sticking with 10, as we were before I talked about SCA, they've got a, a legal dispute with an employee. Yeah, this is another one um, in the Australian today, actually. Um, 
yeah, this is quite a strange one, really. So Angela Neville, who's um, Network 10's general manager and sales director for Brisbane and Southeast Queensland. So big role. Now, she's, despite the fact that she remains in, in employment with the organization, she's taking them to court she, in the, uh, the federal circuit um, over non-payment, as she argues, of short-term incentive payments over the last three years. So she is arguing that um, effectively the company is stiffed her on some of her salary entitlements around kind of bonuses and commissions um which um you know in the in the kind of in the document it's called the short-term incentive plan um so she's arguing that they owe her about a third of a million dollars which is fascinating that can go on while you're still working for an organization um you think it might create a little bit of uh tension in the room and Tim could be a bit of bad news for Stan and Parks and Rec. Yeah, final kind of news point from the TV section of the podcast, which seems to get bigger every week. I must admit. Um, yeah, this is this is a story. It's um, it's always a relief on a Monday when I'm um looking for news stories to cover when Zoe Samuels is back from her holidays because there's new there's new news to cover, which there is this time. So um, yeah, Zoe reporting for the Age in the Sydney Morning Herald that um the NBC Universal deal, which we've talked about before, um, appears to be landing. So um, it would appear that most of the rights are going to go over to Foxtel, which obviously then lets them put them on binge. So this is shows like Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So um, they're the sort of the, the the ones which, you know, it's, it's, it's reliable viewing um, that, um, that the, is such a useful part of the the back catalogue. Um, now, there had been speculation that Seven was going after the NBC Universal deal, perhaps um, with a opportunity to um, to even be a, some sort of launch partner for Peacock, which is the NBC Universal streaming service, which hasn't launched here yet. Instead, looks like Nine has dropped out of the running. Um, Seven may get still get some of the rights, and it looks like whatever rights Foxtel does get, this is certainly how Zoe is reporting it. Um, there will still be a clause that at some point down the track, possibly whenever it wants, NBC Universal would still be able to launch Peacock and then pull back the rights. So it's not limiting their launch in this market. But it's certainly, um, uh, you know, um, changing the, the 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 balance of viewing interest, um, which obviously is, is is kind of bad news for Stan because you you need a content uh, and a content pipeline, and that's probably just the other uh, point that um, made in this piece is that. Stan's strategy is gradually evolving. So it's it's becoming, and it, it's always been there. You know, I, I remember even when I interviewed Mike Sneesby when he was the boss of Stan for, for my book. Um, so this will be getting on for a couple of years back now. Even then he was talking about how part of his strategy is you do local commissions, you do the production locally, but then you on-sell the rights globally, which helps pay for the content. So that increasingly will be Stan's strategy going forward. Next, trouble at a media startup. Unmade. So this is an intriguing one in the Sydney Morning Herald and Age, a media startup that's in trouble before it's even launched. 
Yeah, and this is what what I meant when I was saying about you're glad when Zoe's back because she's broken this one as well. Which, um, yeah, this is just a fascinating one, and I'm 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 amazed there hasn't been more coverage of the fact that it was coming. So a new news outlet called News.net, presumably that would have been the URL as well. Now, the plan was to employ 170 people. Um, and then launch a whole bunch of local, national, international websites. Now, uh, it's, it's, it's worth a read of this piece, which is in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Um, it talks about some of the characters involved, and you know, some of them seem like slightly colourful characters. Um, now, given that I haven't written this myself, and there's probably one or two kind of uh, legal complications, I won't go into too much of the detail. Um, one of the, um, uh, you know, people who is a well-respected sort of journalist with a, a strong background who was involved in the early stages and is now owed money is Tony Gillies, who, you know, was much more kind of closely associated with AAP, Australian Associated Press, the the Newswire service. So it's starting to look like um, we may not see news.net launch now, um, but there are a lot of journalists who are beginning to take legal action to get back what they're owed. Well, that's it for today. We'd love to hear what you think at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And I'll be back in written form tomorrow with Choose Data. Don't forget, if you'd like to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. Today's podcast was produced with the enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. And don't forget, get your ticket for Unmade's live event in Melbourne. See you next week. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio. Unmade is heading to Melbourne. Join us on Tuesday, November the 15th, when I'll be chairing our panel discussion on what's coming up in marketing in 2023 and what the hell happened in 2022. We've got four great speakers from the world of media agencies, Naomi Johnston, boss of Havas Media in Melbourne. From the consultancies, Nick Garrett, head of global commerce and marketing practice lead at Deloitte. Representing the marketer's point of view, Andrea Dixon, regional marketing boss of DocuSign. And the man with his head in brand strategy is Richard Curtis, owner of Future Brand Australia. It's in a pub. It'll be a great chat. Then we'll have a drink and another chat once the microphones are turned off. Tickets are just $69 or free to Unmade's paying members. Open any recent post on unmade.media to find out how to get your ticket.